Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough to think about Him? Episode 359, Where We Stand. This episode of the Trinity's podcast is an audio-only version of the talk entitled Where We Stand 2022, with which I opened the UCA conference in October of 2022 in Ohio. I know that some listeners of this podcast know me mainly through my philosophical publications. If you don't know about the Unitarian Christian Alliance, this talk will tell you a lot about what we are, what we do, and the Reformation motives that lie behind all of it. I've just made a couple of little updates to the content here, and at the end, I'll share a little bit more about what I and what the UCA hope to accomplish, God willing, in 2023. So without further ado, here's my address. The behemoth, which was the Roman Catholic Church as it existed in the 1500s, clashed in many ways with the teachings and practices of the movement started by the Lord Jesus Christ. It had to be reformed. How? Back to the sources. If we need revival, well, we also need re-Bible. Is there any biblical basis for having a pope? No. Did Jesus and his apostles teach clerical celibacy, or that the most spiritual among us should become monks and nuns? No and no. Does scripture justify honoring statues or praying to the supposedly still Virgin Mary? No and no. Today, hundreds of millions of Christians simply don't recognize such doctrines and practices. In many ways, Reformation worked. Even non-Christians and today's Roman Catholics have benefited in many ways from the early modern Protestant Reformation. But it didn't go far enough. The most influential reformers correctly rolled back many unhelpful developments. But they did not free us from the exhausting labyrinth of Catholic speculations about the one God and his Son. Let me describe the status quo for you. Your typical Christian, and I mean a serious one, who goes to church, prays and worships, studies her Bible, uses her gifts in various ministries, she is utterly confused by the sometimes vaunted, but mostly avoided, doctrine of the Trinity. She's embarrassed by it and feels inadequate to try to explain what it is to anyone. The Trinity is the terror of Sunday school teachers. And it's not just them. Most pastors avoid preaching about it. Better to stick to what's clearly in the Bible than to kick this hornet's nest of unanswerable questions. If the average Christian has any settled views on the Trinity, they are likely to be heretical ones. And this is what proponents of Trinity speculations have observed. One of the two most famous 20th century Trinitarian theologians, the Roman Catholic Dr. Karl Rahner, famously observed that, despite their orthodox confession of the Trinity, Christians are, in their practical life, almost mere monotheists. That is to say, non-Trinitarians, or monotheists who hold the one God to be a single perfect self. I think Rahner is right, and the reason is that many Christians read the Bible. The Trinity is widely ignored because it is never so much as mentioned in Scripture, 
nor does it fit with the constant scriptural portrayal of God as a single perfect self, namely, God the Father. To think biblically about God is to leave this tripersonal God thing off to one side. There are, however, a few hardy souls who patronize the great majority of people in officially Trinitarian churches. These apologists and systematic theologians claim to understand what the doctrine of the Trinity is and how, supposedly, it is sort of secretly encoded in the Bible. But their confidence doesn't catch on because they don't actually provide any clarity. Instead, they recycle superficial arguments and unhelpful rhetoric. They nag us not to forget this all-important doctrine, whatever it is, simply repeating the ambiguous traditional words. Yet, they are typically unable to discern the plethora of clashing Trinity theories which have been put forward in the hope of giving some understandable meaning to the baffling, creedally required language. Or if they are able, at least they don't let on, instead carrying on as if the doctrine of the Trinity were some one doctrine. Frankly, these apologists aren't so much traditional as they are tradiculous. They urge that this doctrine of the Trinity is this golden key that unlocks all the hidden mysteries of Scripture. But also, don't touch it. You're not qualified to think about something so profound. In fact, it's dangerous, since thinking about this unfathomable mystery will inescapably pull you into some heretical view, which naturally will imperil your salvation. It's like playing around with nitroglycerin. Just don't. You'll only blow yourself up. This traditional fear-mongering results in a confused and theology-avoidant majority getting talked down to by a small minority who claim to understand what the Trinity amounts to and who insist that believing in it, whatever it is, is of the utmost importance. So, the doctrine of the Trinity is easier said than believed, but it's not exactly belief which tradition requires of you. What you are required to do is to say, I believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. So long as you intone that shibboleth, mainstream Christianity doesn't care too much about what you think the Trinity amounts to. Is it an eternal dance of three perfect friends? Is it one God who eternally has three personalities? Is it a something we know not what? That God is in some way or other three while being in some other way one? Or is it a true contradiction such as there is and there is not only one who is God? And they think the doctrine of the Trinity has been revealed by God? Why then the normal avoidance? Why the widespread and lasting confusion? And why the plethora of clashing interpretations? Is God such a clumsy revealer? And how can the traditional fear-mongering be acceptable for Christians, about whom the Lord Jesus said in John 15, I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. When we pick up the Gospels, do we find Jesus trying to scare us away from thinking about God? No. To the contrary, Jesus says in Mark 12:30, You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind. Neither he nor his disciples try to scare us away from critical thinking about their teachings. 
we don't see anyone in the New Testament wrestling with the idea that who God is can't be understood, or is a paradox, or is permanently beyond human comprehension. There is no worrying there about threeness and oneness. Let me ask you something. Is Jesus your Lord? In other words, is he your boss, your master, your guru, your leader, your teacher? If you say yes, then I assume that you aim to agree with his teachings about God. So, what does Jesus teach about God, and what does he teach about himself? In Jesus' teaching, the one God is none other than the one he taught us to pray to as our Father in heaven. Jesus prayed to the Father too, and once addressed him in John 17 as the only true God. If the Father is the only true God, then no one else is. Jesus, God's anointed one, that is, his Messiah or Christ, is a unique man, like he explicitly says in John 8.40. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Likewise, the apostles preached Jesus to be a man attested to you by God, with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you. Acts 2.22 The Father, whom Jesus is seen to worship, obey, and pray to, is Jesus' God too, like he explicitly says to Mary Magdalene after his resurrection in John 20. Do not touch me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And the Lord Jesus says in the vision recorded in Revelation 3, If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. God Almighty can't be under anyone else. He cannot have a God. And so we know that his son is someone else. A man who does have a God, as he says, the same God who is over you and me. Jesus is truly called the unique Lord now, but this is not a way of saying that he is equal to his and our God. Rather, the Father is, in Paul's words, Ephesians 1.17, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unlike the unique Lord of the Old Testament, that is, Yahweh himself, this Lord is, like us, under God. Yet he is, according to the New Testament, the greatest revelation of God. Indeed, his true image, which is why he says in John 14 that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Not because he is his own father or is a divine person equal to him, but rather because he is like his father, being his unique image. What God has actually revealed through Jesus and his apostles just makes sense and is neither mysterious nor incomprehensible nor apparently self-contradictory. The earliest Christians were not theological cavemen who longed for the day when new philosophical terminology from the 4th and 5th centuries would finally allow them to express their belief in a triune God. There is no more an idea of a tripersonal God in the Bible than there is an idea of the Internet in the American Constitution. 
Anyone who finds that idea there is, well, seeing things. They are finding, really projecting, what they have been told must somehow be there. So as disciples of Jesus, we have carefully and prayerfully re-examined our best sources about Jesus so that we can be sure that we're actually receiving his instruction regarding God and himself. And as a result of this prayerful study, we have reformed our thoughts about God and his Christ so that now we are Unitarian Christians. We're using the word Unitarian in its original sense. Frankly, we're not much interested in the recently born non-Christian religion called Unitarian Universalism, or UU for short. The term Unitarian was coined in the late 1600s to contrast with the term Trinitarian. Whereas a Trinitarian thinks that the one God is the tripersonal God, a Unitarian Christian affirms with the New Testament that the Father alone is the one true God, and that his human son Jesus is someone else someone who is dependent on God for all of the amazing powers and teachings for which he is justly famous. For us, the tripersonal God is a fiction first imagined in the fourth Christian century after many decades of speculations about God, his word, and his spirit. In contrast, our Heavenly Father is real. Jesus fully revealed him and is now the raised and exalted immortal man who is the unique mediator between God and us? 1 Timothy 2.5 Now, thank God, New Testament teaching makes sense. The blinders are off, and we no longer imagine that the New Testament authors confuse together God with his Son, or that they somehow are hinting at ineffable truths that could only barely be stated in the 4th Christian century. When the Trinity's podcast returns... What typically happens to Unitarian Christians in mainstream Trinitarian Christian churches and institutions? Often, our Christian friends don't rejoice with us about this newfound clarity. Still afraid to look into things themselves, they fear that we may be treading near some sort of blasphemy, or maybe they worry we've joined a pseudo-Christian cult. Nonetheless, your typical Christian senses in her gut that surely being born again does not at all require thinking God is three hypostases and one usia, or that Christ is an eternal, fully divine person who has entered into a mysterious union with an anhypostatic yet complete human nature. This is why most Trinitarian Protestants do not counsel those who want to be saved, that they must first agree to such things. Correctly, in practice, Many of them only require what the New Testament does, which is the public confession that Jesus is God's Christ, with all that implies. 
Thus, your average Christian may be puzzled and concerned that you no longer mouth endorsements of the Trinity and the Incarnation, and she may ask you if you've even read John 1. Have you? But usually, she will fellowship with you, given that she can see your motivation is to follow Scripture, whether or not later human traditions agree with it, which is, of course, just behaving Protestantly. But there are Christians in Trinitarian churches who generally will not react to you in this way, and these people are called pastors. Now, typically, the pastor no more has settled views about Trinity and Incarnation speculations than do the congregation. But they have been more indoctrinated into traditional Catholic thinking by their seminary education. Having heard one side of the story, they are convinced that the events of the 4th and 5th centuries settled these matters for all time. And there's a sort of script they've been taught, or at least that they've caught. While they may initially have compassion on you, at some point, this script kicks in. It goes something like this. First, you may be called into the pastor's office for a little discussion. Your pastor may trot out a few well-worn proof texts, or even mount a little argument that somehow Trinity and Incarnation are implied by Scripture, even though they're really not stated anywhere in it. The problem is that you, the person called into the pastor's office, have already studied the issue more thoroughly and from more sides than the pastor has. And so you see his attempts as lame and wholly unconvincing. Now what? Rare is the pastor with the humility to enter into a full, month-long scriptural re-examination of these vaunted doctrines, especially at the instigation of some common pew-dweller such as yourself. Perhaps he will initially agree to disagree, shake hands, and end the meeting. But generally, before long, paranoia sets in perhaps fanned into flame by a local hobbyist heresy hunter. The pastor has been told that these ideas are dangerous. Catholic traditions treat non-Trinitarian theologies like a cancer that must be cut out before it infects the whole body. They must be dealt with by force, not reason. Now, your newfound, hard-won understanding of New Testament teaching is something he thinks he must protect the congregation from. So, yes, for now, you can still attend church there, but you're not allowed to discuss these matters with anyone. Sorry, you can't volunteer in the nursery any longer. You can't play bass on the worship team. You can't be an usher. Gossip spreads. Your Bible study friends avoid you. Although the pastor scarcely mentioned the Trinity or the deity of Christ before, now these points pop up every week, even if the sermon is about the book of Ruth. You're rather hurt by all of this, and eventually you leave the church. Thank God there are exceptions to this sad tale, but I can tell you it is all too common. Suppose it happens to your family. Now what? Where will you go? This is one of the main reasons the UCA exists. It turns out that Christianity works just fine without baffling Trinity and Deity of Christ theories. But most of us will need to find other Unitarian Christians to fellowship with. You need a church, a house church, or an online fellowship, brothers and sisters to bear your burdens, to encourage and instruct and pray for you, and to worship God with you. This is Jesus' only program for discipleship. 
There's not the lone wolf program and also the fellowship program. We are all, Paul taught, part of Christ's current body on earth, so to speak. It's a living organism, and you are an important part of it. Whether you're a foot, an eye, a kidney, an ear, or a hand, etc. Other believers need you, and you need them. But how can you find one another? At UnitarianChristianAlliance.org, you can see, in the words of the elder President George Bush, a thousand points of light. To be specific, orange points. Just click on the map. When you register as a member of the UCA, you give us, we hope, your postal code, and you add a little light to our world map. So too, when you add a profile for your church, online fellowship, ministry, or house church. Now, other Unitarian Christians can find you, and you can find them. The dawn is only starting to break. Still, right now, there are UCA members and or groups in 46 countries. If you are blessed to be a part of a Unitarian Christian church, a Christadelphian ecclesia, a Bible study, or an online fellowship, please check with your leadership to ensure that you are listed in our group directory. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Light a lamp that will lead Unitarian Christians in your area to find you. Naturally, you may agree with some Unitarian groups more than others. It's up to you and your family to find a good fit. As with Trinitarians, so too Unitarian Christians disagree about various matters, some of which they consider to be pretty important. For some, it matters a lot that a group has a certain style of fellowship or certain views about leadership or a certain way of looking at spiritual gifts. This is part of the beauty of our UCA conferences. This year, we have been blessed by a number of conference partners, groups which have contributed to this gathering, helping us to keep the costs low for you. These groups believe in the Reformation cause I've just described, and they are eager to connect with believers with whom they can serve God and His Son. They come together in unity for the sake of this Reformation cause, but they do not claim uniformity. Each has distinctive views and practices, and they come to UCA conferences to meet people and talk to them about how they might join with them for fellowship, worship, and ministry. The UCA is doing this to support them, as well as the great numbers of Unitarian believers who are currently isolated. Again, this is Jesus' one program for discipleship. It is meant to happen in groups. And a number of our conference partners have groups. The UCA does not. For the 2022 UCA conference, our conference partner groups were the Church of God General Conference. This is a Restorationist Unitarian Christian denomination that has churches. Spirit and Truth. They have groups, in particular online groups. Living Hope International Ministry. They have churches. Allegiance to the King. They have online fellowships. Williamsburg Christadelphian Foundation. They have groups, and so do Christadelphians generally. They're called ecclesias, after the New Testament Greek word for assembly or church. Lord's Harvest International, which is the missions wing of the Church of God General Conference. They've been involved, for instance, in planting churches in a couple of African countries. There's also Compass Christian Church, an exciting new church plant in Louisville, Kentucky. Some other partner groups don't have churches, but we greatly appreciate their support for our conferences. 
In 2022, these included Integrity Syndicate, Truthborn, Christian-Centered Counseling, Yahweh TV, and the Humble Trinities Podcast. Some of you hearing me would gladly move across the country for the sake of a new job. Perhaps you should consider moving in order to be a part of a Unitarian Christian Fellowship. Working at home makes this more possible than it ever has been. My own family and I moved a long way, in part, to attend a Church of God General Conference Church in Tennessee, which is Higher Ground Church in White House. When the Trinity's podcast returns, what else does the UCA do, and what sort of things are on deck for 2023? Other than networking Unitarian Christian individuals and groups, what else does the UCA do? Well, one thing we do is to produce issue advocacy material to help this Reformation spread, freeing Unitarian churches to, well, actually teach what's in Scripture. After all, Scripture itself doesn't spend any time at all pointing out that we don't need unhelpful post-biblical Trinity and Incarnation speculations. We are engaging Trinitarians on both popular and scholarly levels. Right now, our funds and so our resources are limited. Hopefully, someday we'll be empowered to do a lot more. Nonetheless, in the last year, our volunteer board and some others have been hard at work. The UCA's publication committee has been editing an important scholarly book on these ancient Unitarian Christians we call Dynamic Monarchians. These traditional believers did not accept the new Logos speculations of the mid to late 100s and beyond, whereas the Logos theorists taught that God had to create by first somehow emanating out of himself a second and lesser God, they thought the Word, or Logos, mentioned in John 1. These more conservative Christians insisted that Scripture teaches only one God, the Father Almighty, who created the cosmos on his own. The Word of God in John 1, they in my view correctly thought, is not supposed to be a literal person any more than is Lady Wisdom in Proverbs. Rather, John 1 is teaching that God's eternal Word or Wisdom, by which He made all things, came most fully to us in the man Jesus Christ, God's Messiah and unique Son. For a lot more on that interpretation of John 1, you can check out my address to the UCA last year called What John 1 Meant. I've got a link for that on the blog post for this episode at trinities.org, or you can just go on YouTube and search What John 1 Meant. Back to the ancient dynamic monarchians. In their view, the New Testament teaches that Jesus is God's unique son, not because he has a divine nature, or because God adopted him at his baptism, but rather because God miraculously caused Jesus' mother Mary to become pregnant. Now, we call Christians with this understanding of Jesus biblical Unitarians. Anyway, this is a difficult historical subject, because once we go past the New Testament books, basically all of the writings of the dynamic monarchians have been lost. 
And so all we know about them is what their heresy-hunting enemies said about them. It takes a well-trained and diligent scholar to get anywhere with this subject. And this is what we have in our author, Dr. Thomas Gaston, an English Christadelphian who earned his Ph.D. from the University of Oxford. We're very excited that Theophilus Press, the publishing arm of the UCA, will publish this game-changing scholarly monograph, God willing, sometime in 2023. Make no mistake, this is not light reading, but we think that it will help to open the minds of some educated Christians to important minority reports in the ancient church. Dr. Gaston argues that it is plausible that, in his words, Contrary to the standard narrative, dynamic monarchianism represents a Christological tradition that was present within Christianity through the first and second centuries and can lay claim to be the earliest Christology. That will be the second book published by Theophilus Press. The first one was our modernized edition of a little gem of a book, a classic short refutation of the deity of Christ using scripture and common sense, which was published in 1702 by an admirable Unitarian Christian, the Presbyterian minister Thomas Emlyn. God willing, there will be more books to come, as well as public debates and other helpful things. On a more popular level, the UCA Social Media Committee has been hard at work engaging the world online. Our brother Manasseh Israel handles the official UCA Twitter account. Be sure to follow us there. The username is at Unitarian Christ. And I've got a link for that on the blog post for this episode. Board member Brandon Duke, with some script help from other board members, has published an amazing collection of short videos for the UCA YouTube channel, which can help people to start to re-examine their assumptions about God and his Christ. Let me play for you now the audio of an excellent short video he made called UCA, The Faith Once and for All Delivered. When the true faith came under attack by false teachers in the late first century, Jude wrote to his fellow saints encouraging them to stand fast in the truth and to contend for the faith they had received from the apostles. Beloved, While I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. What faith did Jude write of? Was this a faith which taught to believe in the true God as a triune God or as one person, the Father alone? Later in the same letter, Jude wrote, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, before all time and now and forever. Amen. Here we find the answer to our question. The one God, the only God our Savior, is praised and glorified through Jesus Christ our Lord. The one God here is a single person, the Father, not a trinity of persons including Father, Son, and Spirit together in one God. Here we see one person is glorified through another, the only true God glorified through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So which faith are you contending for? That handed down by Jesus and the apostles? Or a later faith, unknown to them, that proclaims a different understanding of who God is. 
If you're committed to following the call of the Bible, to contend for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints, join the Unitarian Christian Alliance, where you can ally with other like-minded Christians to promote the truth of the only God, our Savior, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring your Bible. Leave behind the confusion. Again, be sure to check out the actual video on the blog post for this episode at trinities.org. And, as they say, please like and share. In my view, videos like that deserve a million views, not mere hundreds or thousands. We're working on that. The UCA's social media committee also moderates the UCA's Facebook group, which I can assure you is no easy task, as Unitarians can be an opinionated and argumentative bunch. Again, our friend, board member Brandon Duke, has led the charge on that, and we really appreciate his service. And finally, let me mention the epic UCA podcast, hosted by board member Mark Kane. With a clear head, a warm and welcoming heart, and an impish sense of humor, he's introduced us to a whole bunch of fascinating Unitarian Christian believers. And we love to meet these people at our conferences, by the way. Mark has also helped us to think about important things without going off into the deep end of nerdery, as the Trinity's podcast does. He's a winsome personality who you're happy to introduce both to your Unitarian and your Trinitarian friends. And by the way, be sure that you check out the special episode, which he recorded live on the last night called the Community Night at the UCA conference in October of 22. This episode mostly consists of Mark interacting with conference goers, and I think you'll get a good flavor there for what the UCA conferences are like. If you've not heard the UCA podcast, you're missing out. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll think. So that's the end of my slightly revised opening night presentation from the 2022 conference called Where We Stand 2022. I've got a PDF of what I just presented on the blog post for this episode at trinities.org. Now at this point in the actual opening session in the first night of the conference, I handed over the microphone to Mark Kane, who then after his remarks passed the mic on to Pastor Sean Finnegan. Be sure to check those short talks out in the video. They're both great. But as we wrap some things up for this audio-only Trinity's podcast episode, let me just share a few behind-the-scenes things. One thing that's happened recently is that the UCA board has expanded, so now it has six people, and we finally have a proper treasurer. And this is the able Leah Anderson, who lives in Virginia, who is a Christadelphian. And we are delighted to have her, and we're just getting to know her we think she's going to contribute a lot to the board and a different perspective. One thing the board has been thinking about recently, and this is in response to conversations we had at the conference back in October, is how we can multiply UCA events. So we're thinking about how we can partner with other churches, other ministries, maybe other podcasts, and have events in different places. Because the fact is most people won't travel very far for a conference. So everybody that came to Ohio in October of 2022 had a fantastic time. But, you know, probably the great majority were from within maybe three hours drive or so. Although we were very blessed to have people from California, Washington, and so on. But what if we could have a meeting in Texas? What if we could have a meeting in L.A. somewhere? What if we could have a meeting in London? We're thinking about how we can partner with local groups to make this kind of thing happen. 
As for myself, as I record this on New Year's Day 2023, just a couple of days ago, I turned in the opening chapter to a Four Views book that I'm going to be in. I'm going to be in a book debating four perspectives on the Trinity. Mine is one of the four. You know, that the Trinity is a fourth century theological fiction, and that we should prefer New Testament theology instead. I'm really excited about my chapter. It argues from 20 different types of facts, each of which would be surprising if the New Testament authors were Trinitarians or just sort of trying to find their way towards the Trinity, and each of which would be either expected or not surprising if the New Testament authors are Unitarians, who think that the one true God just is the Father himself and not anyone else. So I think this sort of argument, which is both textual and historical, is a way to get around the fruitless proof text wars that there have traditionally been between Trinitarians and Unitarians. And I'm really eager to mix it up with my Trinitarian friends in this book. The other contributors will be Dr. Bo Branson, who you've heard on this podcast. He's a convert to Eastern Orthodoxy who has his own unique take on the Trinity. Then there's Dr. William Hasker, who's been on this podcast long ago. I interviewed him about his very good book uh, in which he defends what he would call a social trinity theory. And then the fourth person is Dr. William Lane Craig, who, again, you heard on the podcast. I didn't interview him, but we were both sort of interviewed for a dialogue a couple of episodes ago. He also has defended a type of social trinity theory. And so we'll see how he argues in this book. I think he may just go for a very simple set of claims that he claims is just like a biblical Trinity doctrine as opposed to a creedal one. But we'll see what he says. I haven't seen his chapter yet. We're working hard on that Gaston book that I mentioned about the dynamic monarchians. Right now, we're doing the final editing before we make the proof for the author's final approval. And I'm also bogged down uh, working on a very, very large index for this 300 plus page book. So it's going slowly, but it's going well. And we're going to be really excited to get this out. The UCA Publications Committee has also recently decided, and we haven't announced this anywhere except it's on our website. Again, I'll put a link to that on the blog post for this episode. But the next thing that we're planning to publish is a book of my heretofore unpublished presentations and essays called Monotheism, History, and Heresy. So I'm really looking forward to getting that out there. When you put stuff in podcasts, PhDs generally ignore it and don't think it exists. But if they see it in an article or a book, oh, okay, now it exists and maybe I should read this to see what this critic of Trinity Theories thinks. So it'll include, among other things, my presentation called Tis Mystery All, The Immortal Dies and Biblical Words for God and for His Son, which I think really helps a person to navigate through both biblical and Trinitarian terminology about God and Jesus. And there'll even be a final chapter which has a short refutation, I claim, of any relative identity Trinity theory. So it's part philosophical, part biblical, part theological, part historical. I think it'll be of interest to folks. So I'm hoping, God willing, that I can also get that out in 2023. However, I am weak, distractible, and kind of, in a sense, have a lot of jobs. So we'll see how that goes. Pray for me.
this week's thinking music has been the track High Above the Darkness, My Story by Admiral Bob. As always, there's a link on the blog post for this episode at trinities.org where you can listen to, download that entire track. Also, be sure to check out the blog post for a whole bunch of links relating to things that I mentioned in this episode, especially those Unitarian Christian organizations. listening. We'll see you online at trinities.org. Till next time, don't forget to love God with all your mind.